All right, Stacy. on deck this week, you have an international story with everything. Everything and more. I don't even quite know how to how to tell this. Make it happen. Come on. So I have a bit of a complicated story for us today, Alicia. It has a lot going for it. There are royals, kidnappings, phone hacking, daring escapes, and a financial settlement of nearly three quarters of a billion dollars. Whoa. This is the story of how Princess Haya bint Hussein daughter of Jordan's late King Hussein, managed to get herself and her two children away from her, let's say, very persistent husband, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, the multi-billionaire ruler of Dubai. Wow. Okay. Oh, and if Wikipedia is to be believed, he is our latest Trashy Divorces all-star as well. So congrats on that, Sheikh Mo. Good job, man. Congrats. Welcome to the club. Such an exclusive. <laughs> anyway, I've seen the story popping up here and there in the U.S. tabloids over the last few years, but I'm pretty sure this was a much bigger story for our British listeners for reasons that will soon become quite clear. All right, let's start with a little about the groom, as he is definitely the older of the pair at the tender age of 72. Sheikh Mohammed was born July 15th, 1949, the third of four sons of those al-Maktoums, the ones who are the hereditary rulers of the Emirate of Dubai since 1833. T.M. <laughs> I'm not sure whether the family was filthy rich at the time or not. Uh, Wikipedia somewhat confusingly says this of his childhood, quote, Mohammed's early life was not grand. He grew up in a house without any electricity during his early years, and the family sometimes had to sleep together in one room with a fan. A hundred people or more lived in his house, including guards and slaves. In a one-room house and everybody just sleeps together? Thinking not a one-room house. I'm thinking it was just a palatial estate in an earlier... Time? Time. Without electricity. The 1950s? I don't know. I don't know. A hundred people in a one-room house is a lot. I don't think it's a one-room house. (laughs) But I was surprised to learn that his early life was not grand, but they had slaves and stuff. (laughs) Like, what is that? Okay. When he was born, Dubai and its emirate neighbors, I think there are seven of them total, were closely tied to the United Kingdom, which had signed protective treaties with what were then known as the Trucial States, because there were truces in place, right? Not technically part of the Commonwealth, but Commonwealth adjacent enough for Mohammed and his cousin to spend their teenage years being educated in the UK. And then for Mohammed to take officer training with the British military, graduating as the top Commonwealth student. His father was impressed, and upon Mohammed's return to Dubai, the 20-year-old was named head of the Dubai police force. Sure. Probably and, had the experience for that. And the Dubai defense force. Nope. Like, let's just run the mili- run all the security services, kids. 20? 20. Smart. Turned into a real resume booster, too, because when the British decided to withdraw from the trucial state situation and the sheikhs of the seven emirates in question agreed to form the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. 22-year-old Mohammed was named Minister of Defense. What can't this guy do? It's a really remarkable rise. Well, he can certainly get married. And in 1972, on a trip to Beirut... He met 16-year-old Rhonda Albana. Rhonda was in a bit of a rebellious period in her life, uh, having just been expelled from a convent school after spending a little too much time on the beach and 
at night in the clubs dancing to the Bee Gees. Who can resist the Bee Gees? Not a 16-year-old in 1972, anyway. No. They married not long after meeting, and suddenly Rhonda was living in London with her very rich new husband in the swing in 70s, and everything was awesome for a while. But inevitably, they were to return to Dubai with none of London's glitz and a deeply conservative Bedouin culture. Rhonda did not love it. Not as much fun as Swing in London. Apparently his family felt like her name, which is, is spelled R-A-N-D-A, but I believe pronounced Rhonda. They felt that was too Western, so oh. they called her Haifa. Oh, hmm. okay. Weirdly, this did not work out as marriages go. And just a few years into the marriage, Rhonda told Mohammed she wanted a divorce. Slight problem. Rhonda had a five-month-old daughter by then. And Mohammed, while apparently providing Rhonda financial support over the years, kept the girl, and has never let her mother see her since. <gasps> really? That's terrible. Today, Rhonda's daughter is in her 40s. She's married to a powerful Emirati politician who's also a billionaire. But I thought this anecdote about kind of the ways that Muhammad controls things. and Never seen her mom. Wow. Yeah. Thought that would be helpful as we move forward into our story. I should note for the record that Sheikh Mohammed is the father of 26 children. No. With his various wives. He has 12 kids with Sheikh Ahind bint Maktoum bin Juma al-Maktoum, his wife since 1979. She is the first lady of Dubai. Okay. But note that polygamy, at least a constrained form of polygamy, is legal in the UAE. Under the law, Sheikh Mohammed, like all Muslim men there, may have as many as four wives as long as all are treated well and equally. How many husbands can the wives have? One! Hmm. Or maybe as low as 25% of one. Huh. Seems a little unbalanced. Unclear whether they get a whole one or just part of one. <laughs> anyway, I bring up his 1979 marriage in order to note that he had four children with another woman who was his wife starting in 1980. And then three with yet another wife starting in the early 80s. There was yet another marriage, lucky lady identity unknown, with whom he had a son in 1981. These all appear to have ended in divorce, as did his 1990s era marriage, which also ended in divorce, along with the 1970s with Rhonda. That's five, so hey now, you're an all-star. Get, your, Get game your game on. on. Wow. Go play. Okay, so while his home life was admittedly messy and getting messier by the day, it is worth considering some of his accomplishments and scandals as the super rich guy helming Dubai, which is the UAE's commercial capital. Abu Dhabi is its political capital. The first thing to understand is that Dubai law establishes that all undeveloped land in the country is owned by the Al Maktoum family, his ah. family, meaning that development personally enriches him and, you know, his family. Well, that's a helpful little structure. Yeah, Mohammed has leaned into developing Dubai with a relish bordering on a fetish. Um, it is obviously one of the the world's leading playgrounds for the rich. I mean, it it is a fancy developed oh, yeah. place these days. I have never been to Dubai. Same. Like much of... I'm not rich enough to go to Dubai. No, no. Like much of its region, Dubai was heavily dependent on oil to fund itself even into the 1980s. But the ruling family, his father, understood that oil is finite. And he had this cool quote that I read in researching this where he was like, 
My grandfather rode camels. My father rode camels. I drive a Mercedes. My son drives a Land Rover, but his son will ride a camel. Like if they stayed with oil as their main product, that would not work out long term, was his thinking. If they wanted to stay rich forever, they were going to have to diversify. To start this off, Mohammed took point on launching Emirates Airlines, which is a state-owned carrier, and it seems to be a major sponsor of every significant sports event in the world. In 1995, while not yet the official ruler of Dubai, that was his brother had the role at the time. He wouldn't, in fact, become a ruler until 06, but he was the de facto ruler from the time his father died. Anyway, Mohammed launched the Dubai Shopping Festival, which annually welcomes millions of visitors to enjoy a huge catalog of entertainment options, fireworks, live music, and of course, tax-free shopping. Even better, Emirates Airlines offers bargain basement prices for tickets to attend. Fantastic. The Dubai Shopping Festival has brought in tens of billions of dollars in revenue over the decades, oh, boosting, I bet. yeah, tourism, entertainment, I mean, the obviously retail, big deal. Also, in the late 90s, again, they're going to transition to a more tourism-based structure. One of Mohammed's companies, and there is a lot of fuzziness over what is his personal property and what is state property, and I think that fuzziness is on purpose, went hard at luxury hotels, launching the Jumeirah Beach Hotel in 1997, And in 99, after a three-year process of building an island to build the hotel on, Dubai unveiled the then world's tallest luxury hotel, the Burj Al Arab. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that sort of right. Then Mohammed launched Dubai Internet City, a tech hub and free trade zone, and then he overlaid Dubai Media City on it the following year, which did require Mohammed to make some assurances about freedom of the press in this little authoritarian patch of land. He would later have to bar the imprisonment of journalists after a few were prosecuted. So, Oh, my. In 2002, while he was still just the de facto ruler of Dubai, he issued a decree allowing foreigners to purchase property there, which really opened the floodgates for huge population growth and an investment boom that is still going strong today. Then there are the Palm Islands. I think only one is completed as of yet. But this is another project spearheaded by a company, Mohammed Controls, which built this gigantic archipelago, I guess, that looks like an encircled palm tree and can be seen from space. No, it cannot. Oh, yes. Uh, This mighty structure features hotels, shopping, and residential areas. It is a huge tourist draw. It's kind of a feat of it. Like the... You've certainly seen pictures of it over the years. Like, it's kind of a famous thing. And so, like, a feat of engineering, a, you know, modern wonder of the world or whatever, but apparently also a bit of an ecological disaster for Dubai's coastline and sea life. I would think so. So that's all interesting. Through it all, the UAE has consistently been named on lists of human rights abusers, uh, migrant workers who are drawn to, you know, the hope of prosperity, like good work, good wage. They've long been ground down by unpaid wages, wage theft, and other abuses by companies sponsoring their visas. You may not be surprised to learn that Mohammed is himself a pony boy. A pony boy, you say? He owns perhaps the largest horse racing operation on planet Earth, uh, as well as perhaps the biggest horse breeding company 
on planet Earth. He's into the studs. Anyway, he owns stables and horsey facilities in the U.S., Ireland, the U.K., and Australia, as well as Dubai. Holy horses. Puzzlingly, his horses fail their drug tests kind of on the regular, and Mohammed gets very, very angry at those dastardly trainers when this happens, so hard to find good help. One last, maybe, scandal. In 2006, UNICEF rescued hundreds of children who had been kidnapped and taken to Dubai, where they were enslaved and forced to race camels, which is hella dangerous. Like, these kids get badly hurt. When they, like, fall off, camels are apparently very fast. This is terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, this is the, the kidnapping thing is fairly widespread in the region, with estimates of anywhere from 5,000 to 40,000 trafficked <sighs> children forced... Oh, my God. Yeah, forced to work as camel jockeys after being snatched from places like Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Iran, Sudan. Terrible. Yeah. The kids are forced to live in camps near their racetracks and obviously are subject to all manner of abuse and deprivation while there. This sort of child trafficking has been officially banned in the UAE for 20 years now, yeah. but uh, abuses likely continue. I think everyone sort of agrees that there is just a culture of that. Let us return now to Mohammed's exceedingly complicated family life. In the year of our Lord 2004, having divorced, I think, his backup wives, he was perhaps down to just one. Time for three more. Batter up. It was the ponies that brought him together with his sixth wife, Jordan's Princess Haya bint Hussein. Haya, born May 3rd, 1974, is the daughter of the late King Hussein of Jordan and the half-sister of Jordan's current monarch, King Abdullah II. She grew up in considerable privilege. She was educated in the UK. She's a graduate of Oxford University. She began competing in equestrian events when she was 13 and has won medals at the Pan-Arab Games and earned a spot on the 2000 Jordanian Olympic team in show jumping. Pony boy meets pony girl. Yes, in a pony world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In 2002, she competed at the World Equestrian Games in Spain. Oh, my. Where a certain autocrat from Dubai was also participating, and according to Haya, they fell in love over the ponies. In 09, she told the Daily Mail, it was wonderful to understand someone without the need for words. Wow. This is reportedly how the plural marriage situation works for Dubai's ruling family. Every royal wife has her own compound where she lives with her children and staff and all of that, while Mohammed himself lives at Zebil Palace, a massive mansion and grounds compound in the heart of the city. Typically, the wives are expected to wait for their husband to come and visit them, but that custom was waived for Haya, who was always welcome to visit Muhammad at his home. So while this 2004 wedding certainly did seem to have some politics to it, I mean, he's marrying into the Jordanian royal family and anyway... They were also genuinely close for a long time. They would ride horses together to unwind, and she attended diplomatic events and public ceremonies, always foregoing the hijab. She never covered her hair. It was a little bit scandalous. It must have been extraordinarily effective marketing, especially to Westerners, to see this modern Oxford-educated wife on the arm of Dubai's ruler, even if he is 25 years her senior, But, I mean, he's trying to sell Dubai as a destination. Sure. Two kids joined them in 07 and 2012. And Haya herself became active in organizations like the International Olympic Committee 
and the International Federation for Equestrian Sports, where she served as president for two terms. Slightly embarrassing, though, her time as president overlapped a period where her husband and one of her stepsons were both convicted by the organization for doping their horses. Oh, no. Although she kind of played it off as a political thing intended to hurt her and her family. Animal welfare is not at the heart of the story. It doesn't it's, seem like animal or human welfare no, no, really no, factors no. in too heavily. We're not even to the good part yet. Oh, God. But as his treatment of his first wife might indicate, there were some fairly large issues in the brain pan of Sheikh Mo when it came to women. In the summer of 2000, before Haya and Mohammed had even met, one of his daughters, the Sheikha Shamsa is her name, then 19, fled his estate in Surrey in England and spent weeks, you know, crashing with friends in London. Like, she was trying to get away from him. My little runaway? She wanted freedom. And instead, in August of 2000, as she exited a bar in Cambridge, she was grabbed by four armed men, (sighs) put on a private jet, and flown back to Dubai. She has not been seen in public (sighs) since. It's 22 years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah, apparently they tracked her cell phone signal, and that's how they... This will reappear as well. Also, the UK barely investigated this kidnapping... On one of its own streets, like, it, the whole thing was botched. This sounds like Jack Bauer in 24, just random kidnap attempts in the middle of the street. It's terrible. So this all kind of faded to memory until 2018, when Shamsa's sister, the Sheikha Latifa, who was then in her 30s, attempted to flee. This was not her first time either. In 02, during a riding expedition when she was 16, she tried to peel off and cross the border into Oman. Make a break for it. Yeah, she thought it was just going to be wide open desert and it there was a fence that she had to climb and locals saw a rando climbing the border fence and called police. Her father put her into what she says was solitary confinement for three and a half years where she was tortured. Oh my God. For the outrage of attempting to climb into Oman. On February 24th of 2018, Latifa and a Finnish friend... Tina, a fitness instructor who had trained Latifa, executed a plan that they had been hatching for a couple of years by that point. Okay. Latifa had been barred from leaving Dubai since her sister's escape attempt in 2000. She had no passport. But she had read a book by a former French spy called Escape from Dubai because he had been charged with what he says were trumped up charges and he himself had to flee Dubai. Sure. And Tina had spent the prior six months back and forth to the Philippines to work with him and, like, get trained in what they would need to do to extract Latifa from... Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm invested. Feeling it's going to go terribly, but oh, I'm really terribly. invested in the story. That day, Latifa had her driver take her to a cafe that she frequented. Once inside, she went to the bathroom, changed her clothes, altered her appearance a bit, threw away her phone. She and Tina got into a car... This was Latifa's first time riding in the front seat of a car. This is how, yeah. And they drove six hours to the capital of Oman. A friend of the spy met them there, and they all piled into a dinghy and set out for international waters in the Gulf of Oman. This is not even the best part. Oh, and uh, it was storming at the time because of course it was. Of course it was. At that point, and I am not making this up, Latifa and Tina got onto a pair of jet skis to complete the journey oh, to a like James Bond to a U.S. flag yacht, the Nostromo, where the French spy was waiting. 
The plan was to sail to Goa, India, where Latifah hoped to get on a U.S.-bound plane and seek asylum in the States. Instead, after about 10 days at sea, a joint Indian-UAE commando <sighs> operation began... Reportedly, with some intelligence help from the FBI, Mohammed had told them that his daughter had been kidnapped by criminals. My daughter's been kidnapped by rock stars. Yeah, so Latifa was like literally dragged kicking and screaming from the boat and taken back to oh, Dubai. I mean, bless and a, her heart. an attack helicopter landed on this. There were boats, there were speed, but it was, it was a big deal. Sometimes you got to just let your kids go. Let them do the things they're going to do in the world, man. Yeah. Tina and the spy were also taken into custody. They oh were my God. held in Dubai for some weeks. The spy was beaten for 45 minutes by the soldiers who boarded his boat. Cleverly, Latifa had recorded a like 40-minute long video prior to her escape attempt, outlining the conditions that she and her sister Shamsa had to endure from their father and accusing him of various things, including murder. <sighs> She had sent it out to various entities, including a UK-based group called Detained in Dubai, which released the video on the 11th of March. There was quite a media stir, oh, I as bet. you can imagine. Not to mention that the government of Finland was now looking for Tina, their citizen. Right. The British were like, huh, didn't we drop the ball when Sheikh Mohammed did this before? And the guy who had met them in Oman ended up in custody there for more than a month. Oh, my God. That guy is also French. He moved his family to Luxembourg after he was released. So the UAE issued an Interpol red notice about him, which resulted in his being held for 41 days in Luxembourg, just because they're punitive sorts there in the UAE. This is terrible. While Dubai's official reaction was that Latifa had been brought home and that she was all good and with her family, NGOs like Human Rights Watch were having none of it. The UN weighed in, demanding answers from both India and the UAE. At the 2018 Kentucky Derby, where Mohammed and Haya frequently were in attendance because horsies, activists hired a plane to fly a banner overhead that read, Dubai, where is Princess Latifah? Oh, that's got to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know those 26 kids with the six or seven different wives? Yeah. Well, it turns out that Sheikh Latifah has two half-sisters who are also named Latifa. So to combat the international furor, UAE's internal media started covering their activity extensively. So if someone in Dubai googled Princess Latifa or Sheikha Latifa, they would find out what the vice chair of Dubai's Culture and Arts Authority was up to. Big time. It's times. like three card Mani, but just three card Latifa. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, we're just it's gonna... terrible. Yeah, there's a yeah. That's why she's trending on Twitter because she cut a ribbon at some ceremony. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Princess Haya, meanwhile, had already become disenchanted with her authoritarian husband, who was by then pushing 70 and increasingly focused on his legacy, which I think will be substantial in Dubai's history, regardless of all of this. Unhelpfully, Haya had been having an affair with one of her bodyguards mm. for a year or two when Latifa made her escape, and after Latifa's return, Haya was reportedly distressed over her treatment and how the royal family was trying to cover things up. In a January 5th, 2019 interview, she said that if Latifa's story of abuse was true, she would stop defending her husband. And then she disappeared from the public entirely. Oh, no. This was not known at the time, even to Haya, but on February 7th of 2019, which is the 20th anniversary of the death of her father, Mohammed divorced her under Sharia law. 
Didn't tell her. Oh. Just did it. Oh. Sometime in I mean, sp- and she's a legit princess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She is a Jordanian princess. Yes. Sometime in the spring of 2019, reportedly with the help of a German diplomat, Haya and her two children escaped first to Germany and then emerged in the UK a few months later seeking asylum there. The news was pretty explosive, especially with the whole Latifa outrage still fresh in everyone's mind. Mohammed, who sidelines as a classical poet, okay. published a poem on his Instagram feed that nope. foreign policy's Ola Salem helpfully translated. It Nobody. ended this way. Mm-mm. You no longer have a place with me. Walk away with whoever you were busy with. Let your wickedness help you. I care not whether you live or die. So just airing it all out in public like well, that's that. That's cheerful. The UK's Foreign Office has said that Mohammed attempted to use, you know, private and diplomatic channels to get the UK to ship them back. Don't you think you'd just stop now? Like it's gone really badly for everyone else you've tried this with. Maybe lesson learned. You're 70. No lessons learned. Ride some horses, play some fucking golf. No lessons learned. Luckily, by then, the UK government understood what was actually happening here. It only took us 20 years. (laughs) So getting nowhere on that, in mid-May, Mohammed filed suit in England and Wales to compel the UK government to send his children back. Nope. Instead, on July 30th, the High Court granted Haya's request to make her children official wards of the Court of the United Kingdom and to issue a forced marriage protection order for her daughter to protect her from, like, she's 13. and Being pulled, yeah, being pulled back and forced to marry. Yes, and a non-molestation order for herself. (sighs) Oh, my God. Haya already owned, it's like an 84 million pound home near Kensington Palace in London, so... She had a place to go. She had a place. Mohammed dispatched some guys to try to buy the property next door to it, though. No. Pretty sure that did not go through. But all of this did end up... Just all of these compounding incidents in her that that built this incredible case that she was under constant threat from her ex-husband. The legal drama that played out over the next couple of years or so was, from a trashy divorce's perspective, absolutely amazing. We learned that the bodyguard Hyatt had an affair with had himself been married, and the affair broke that up. We also learned that she had paid several security guards, including the boyfriend, more than $6 million to keep it quiet. Wow. That did not actually work. And once the Sheikh knew about it, he'd do fun stuff like leave a pistol on her pillow next to her, pointed at her head. Another time, he sent a helicopter to her house and threatened to take her off to a remote desert prison. Oh, my God. Just fun stuff. Just normal husband stuff. There were also texts from Mohammed to Haya. Upon her resurfacing in the UK, he had apparently tried to pressure the Germans to send her back as well. So I, she's been running. He texted her, you and the children will never be safe in England. Another said, we can reach you anywhere. There was also a phone hacking scandal with the high court finding that Mohammed had authorized use of the Pegasus spyware system against Haya and her lawyers. Super problematically, her lead lawyer is a woman named Fiona Shackleton, who is a member of the House of Lords. So the government was taking this very seriously. I can't even. This is the most incredible story I've ever heard. Next sentence. 
Fiona was actually tipped off to the hacking by none other than Sherry Blair, wife of Tony Blair. No. Blair worked as an advisor to Israel's NSO group, which created the Pegasus spyware and then sold it to the UAE. They canceled their contract with the UAE after this came out because he was spying on like Latifah and uh, uh. the activists who were trying to like smuggling phones to her and stuff like he this was an extensive it's weird what happens when we give people just unparalleled access and power and i should say that sheikh mohammed denies that uae had anything to do yes all of this is allegedly allegedly Mm -hmm. well you know what judges do not care for this sort of behavior and the longer this dragged on the more determined the court became to ensure that the kids stayed with their mother especially in light of the father having already kidnapped his own children repeatedly. By the time the case concluded in December of 2021, Justice Philip Moore was explicit in his awarding of $720 million, or 550 million pounds. This is the largest settlement in UK history. I'm sorry, how much? $720 million. Wow. 550 million pounds. That's 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 a lot of... It's a lot of ponies you can buy. Anyway, Justice Philip Moore was really clear that this incredible amount of money was required because Haya had to protect herself and her children from Mohammed. For the rest of their lives, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Dude bro has to pay half a billion or so, three quarters of a billion, depending on what currency you're you're in. So his ex-wife, who has full custody of the children, can pay for security to protect herself and them from him. Around the clock. Yeah. For the rest of their lives. For the rest of, yeah. What? A I think for the jerk. kids, it's until they graduate college. But I think the court at that point would assume like, well, you know, you're an adult now. If you want to go and have a relationship with your dad and live under his thumb. <laughs> anyway, I believe that Haya's current situation is that she is an official envoy of the Jordanian government. So she enjoys diplomatic immunity in the United Kingdom. Back in Dubai, Latifa appears to have finally been granted some freedom, perhaps as part of the PR effort in the UK court. <laughs> However, she's been photographed, you know, in a mall in Dubai, as well as while traveling in Spain and in Iceland. She's been able to meet with and text activists who have been championing her cause, including human rights lawyers and the hashtag free Latifa campaign that had sprung up to advocate for her ended after three and a half years when she appeared to be, you know, doing her own thing, has a passport, can travel. Like Her sister Shamsa, as far as I can tell, remains locked up in her father's palace. Oh, my God. So that, Alicia, is more or less the story of the escape of Princess Haya bint Hussein from the clutches of a dude who really, really does not seem to think that women should have much in the way of rights. I don't know what type of flag Dubai has, but I assume it's red. And as trash cans go, like just a a desert full of luxury trash cans. Yeah, I think this has got to be the highest trash can count. There's 550 million. Yeah, I mean. Wow. I've never heard anything like that. That sounds like a completely fictional made up movie yeah that you just wouldn't believe if you watched it nope in fact someone should make that movie tm tm <laughs> you heard it here first folks <laughs> no i mean if i think if you're in the uk you probably this was probably very prominent in the news 
over a long period of time. So that was incredible. That was terrible, well, but that was incredible. Yeah, I think we won't be welcome in Dubai after this. So. Oh, yeah, we're definitely flagged for sure. 